0: And in Acts chapter 6, where we are going to be today, we are seeing the fulfillment of what Jesus said when he said these words. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now a lot of people teach that the rock he was talking about was Peter. Now, Peter was certainly called a rock by him. But I believe that the rock he was talking about was not Peter himself, but rather was Peter's declaration. Because remember, we talked extensively in the breaking of bread this morning about how it's all about Jesus. So what was Peter's declaration? His declaration was, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we, we read, Peter said in his first sermon, he talked about the cornerstone that was rejected. You rejected Jesus, and yet he has become the head of the corner. The very foundation stone on which our faith is laid. And so as we get into Acts chapter 6, I titled today's message Growing Pains, In the church. Um, We all know what it's like to have growing pains. We all know what it's like to have changes occur in our lives. I remember when my siblings first started getting married. And one by one leaving the house. And it just wasn't the same. Even our house today. I have six. There are six family members that I live with. And for most people they would say that's still a pretty busy house. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of evenings when I sit in my house and I think about how empty it is. Because when there was 13 of us there, uh, there was never a dull moment. Never a quiet moment either. But that's another discussion for another time. But the point is, there is growing pains for all of us because there's always changes and things that are happening. And so that is what is what is part of the scene that we are embarking upon today. So my first point for growing pains in the church is deacons are chosen in response to the church growth. Now, um, it's, an, it's interesting to point out that, that the people who are mentioned in this passage are never called deacons in this passage. However, if you look at the deacons' qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3, you'll find that the men that are in this passage meet those definitions, and that is why many people believe and understand these to be the first deacons of the church. So with that being said, I'm going to read the first five verses. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them, and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Para. and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. So, first of all, I would say, there aren't very many good baby names in this passage. (laughs) Um, So, if I ever get to that point, I won't be using Acts chapter 6 to name my children. However, uh, these men were full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. What does the book of James say? It says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men, liberally and abradeth not. But if he does ask, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering." So these men had exhibited themselves to be men full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. And Um, we don't know a whole lot about each of these people. We do know that Nicholas was a proselyte of Antioch. And I think one of the significant things about this is that the seven men that they chose probably were able to meet specific needs for the different groups of people that they found themselves in. Because you can't If you are managing a big group of people, a huge group of people, one of the most important things that you can do is to learn to delegate to the right people responsibility. Because as a church grows, or as any body grows, as our student body grows at the Potter's house, we need more people to take care of the same responsibilities so that no one gets neglected. And that is the situation of... the situation. These people are are being neglected. Let's come up with a solution to deal with this. And I think it's interesting in the second verse, just as an aside, that it says the 12 called the multitude of disciples unto them. So I think this is a confirmation. We talked about this in the beginning of Acts. I believe this to be a confirmation that Matthias's selection as an, as an apostle, as one of the twelve, to fill Judas' office was not a mistake. Some people think that Paul was a replacement for Matthias because he was the wrong choice. I do not believe that to be the case because this mentions the twelve and Paul is not yet on the scene, So just as an aside. But as we think about this fact of being overwhelmed, and the fact that delegation can be a legitimate use of your leadership, I think it would be good to look at a situation in the Old Testament where this was utilized. And for that, I would like to go to Exodus Chapter 18, verses 14 to 18. Exodus chapter 18, verses 14 to 18. This is Jethro coming to visit his son-in-law, Moses. And let's see what happens in this passage. If somebody gets there, if they could read it, that would be great. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said... What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit, and all the the people stand before you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people are, who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen. Is that what you i 18? Yeah, 18 is the last word. We could read the whole passage because he goes further, but the point I'm trying to make in reading these verses is simply, Jethro came and visited Moses, and probably, part of it was probably he was reacting to the fact that he didn't really have time to visit with Moses, because he said, you're you're not around. I can't spend time fellowshipping with you, because you are overwhelmed, you're overworked, you're not going to make it. You have to be able to let other people help you in the responsibilities that you have. God said, "Moses, is, Moses, I want you to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt." But He did not expect Moses to do all the work Himself. As a matter of fact, there was one time when they were, when they had a battle, and when Moses held up his hands, Moses held up his arms, the people of Israel prevailed, and when Moses let down his hands, the enemy prevailed. So Aaron and her stood by him side by side and held up his arms. And if you're anything like me, sometimes we need people to hold up our arms. I was just talking to Mike over the break about some things that have been discouraging me and it was so encouraging to talk to him because it was something that I really needed and that is what we... As the body of Christ, are for to encourage one another in the battle, so that we can continue on. The Bible says that God puts the solitary in families. That's why He says that the that the, that the that he, that's why He says that His His body is a body. That's why He says that we are the family of God because He wants us to be together. That's why we call each other brother and sister. That's one of my favorite things about being in the assemblies is the way that we refer to one another regularly as brother and sister. And there's no division, no clerical division, because the Bible says we are all priests and kings to our God. What a wonderful thing that is. And it's also interesting to me, um, before we move on to our next point, I don't think there's any arrogance in the apostles' statements here. Or that they were putting down the serving of tables. As a matter of fact, In order to serve the church and preach the word, what did Peter have to be? He had to be full of the Holy Ghost and full of wisdom. And when it comes time to serve the people, when it comes time to serve tables, what does he say you need to do? What did the apostles say you need to do to find the right people to serve these people? He said you need to find someone full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom. Same qualifications, because it's equally as important. We need to get off this idea that creeps into our minds as humans that certain people have a superior role in the kingdom of God. Men and women are considered equal before God. But they have distinct roles before God. And if we lose our distinct roles, then we won't have the ultimate in joy and fulfillment and contentment that God wants us to have. Why do you think we're having the gender dystopia problems in our culture today as we are? It's because we have no, we've told women it's no longer good enough to be a woman. You have to be the best man you can be, even if you're a woman. It's a wrong idea. And the world has bought a log stock, and barrel. And I believe in certain areas, the church is not far behind. We need to make sure that we are upholding the value of godly manhood and womanhood. We work together to make successful families which makes a successful culture, which brings honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Titus, it talks about how men are supposed to stand up and lead the church and proclaim Christ. And then it talks about how women are to be keepers at home so that the word of God will not be blasphemed. And then it goes right back to, to to having the, to rightly dividing the word of god and standing for Christ so it doesn't divide homemaking from being theologically correct in the pulpit it equalizes them please hear this and then if we can look at our second um, cross reverence in James 127. James 1.27, very quickly. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So again, talking about Pure religion is helping others. Pure religion is visiting the widows and the orphans. I believe that should be the primary ministry of the church. Um, There are certain qualifications we must have if we are to be used of God. These qualifications do not include great learning, genius, Riches, executive ability, and other similar assets that many of us will never have. Paul has told us by inspiration just what they are. D.L. Moody is quoted in the cosmic calendar as follows. Paul sums up five things, the base things, the despised things. Uh, okay. Paul sums up five things that God uses. The weak things, the foolish things, the base things, the despised things and the things which are not. When we are ready to lay down our strength and our weaknesses before the Lord, He then can use us. He can use us. Our second point, obedience leads to further growth. Obedience leads to further growth. You know, even, I don't know if they had ever had any discussions about church growth back then, but since I hear them In our culture today, I'm I'm gathering that they may have had those. But once they were obedient and began to move forward in a godly manner, then their growth continued. And then in verse 6 it says, When they sat before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. What an exciting thing that the religious leadership of that day, the Jewish religious leadership, was starting to get it. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the Synagogue of the Libertines, and the Cyrenians, and the Alexandrians, and of them of Silesium and Asa, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Now, this is a challenge to me because often I think in my head I'm debating. But what I'm really doing is arguing. And there is a difference. See, the thing is, when we argue as people, we want to be right. Our primary goal is to be right. And we often don't care in our moment of passion who we take out in the process of being right. But when Stephen is debating the truth, he is standing up for the truth. You see, some Christians believe sadly that if we if we love someone we can disagree with their lifestyle and we should never confront them about it. But see the Bible tells us to judge with righteous judgment. Now should we have a judgmental attitude about it no because we should deliver the truth in love See Stephen didn't back down from the truth He spoke the truth boldly even though it create even though it exposed it didn't create division it exposed the division And it says in verse 10 they were not able to resist the wisdom by which he spake Now, that's convicting to me because I don't think a lot of my debates end up that way. I need to be abiding in the vine so the truth of the vine comes out of me. In a loving and concise manner, speaking the truth always, but always with love. And think about... (coughs) This Stephen. It says, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Why? Because we've already established that he was full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom. If you want to be used by God, be full of him. You can't help others if you yourself are empty remember Jesus he would the very son of God would go up into the mountain and pray all night I don't always do this but sometimes when I wake up in the middle of the night especially if it's storming I'll be praying because I figure there must be some reason why God woke me up and I don't know that I'll ever know all of the results of those prayers, but if He wakes you up at 4 o'clock in the morning, it's not to eat breakfast. (laughs) At least if you're not a farmer. So, um, just a word of testimony from my own life. And then, uh, this disputing with Stephen, like, we've always had theological arguments throughout history. And the synagogues, no doubt, were were being threatened by the way, this new way of life that didn't involve being tied to the law. It simply involved in trusting Jesus Christ who was risen, the dead see they thought they had gotten rid of him when they nailed him on the cross they said they'll never speak of his name again because he's dead but when they went to the tomb that day instead they found two men in shining white robes that said why do you seek the living among the dead he is not here for he has risen just as he said. When he says something, you can believe it. When I say something, it may or may not be true. I hope that for the most part it's true because the Bible says a good name is rather to be chosen than choice silver. And I want to be truthful. But when God says something, it's 100% ironclad, take it to the bank truth. And so they were not able to stand up against his wisdom. This again is another I love how scripture builds upon scripture and gives us the fulfillment of God's promises. Let's look at Luke 21:12 to 15. Luke 21:12 to 15. For kings and rulers, for my name's sake, and it shall turn you, turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what ye shall answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gain or resist. This is such an encouragement to me, because I believe the day may very well be coming in our lifetime when I may be asked to renounce my faith in Jesus. And some days I feel really weak and I feel like if it happened today, I would do it. But all I can do is fall on the truth of that scripture that in the day that I need to say something and speak out for him, he will give me the words. I don't even have to prepare the words. Because in the day that I need it, it will be there. And no one will be able to truly gainsay or resist what I have to say. And that was shown in the character of Stephen. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Why? Because it was the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God was speaking through Stephen. The one who called the world into existence. The one who stood in the garden and caused everyone to fall back from him. That was who was speaking through Stephen. For a long time, we were looking for a word for obedience, a virtue that the natives never practiced, related a missionary. One day as I went home from the village, my dog stayed behind. I whistled and he came running after me at top speed. An old native man by the roadside said with admiration, Meudim Delon. Literally, dog yours, ear is only. That is, your dog is all ear. Obedient. I got hold of that expression at once and found I had a beautiful word for obedience. <laughs> Let us be all ear to our Lord. Point three, and my final point this morning. Stephen's faith and obedience leads to persecution. Remember what Paul said. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall, the definitive article, suffer persecution. Acts chapter 6, verses 11 to 15. Then they suburned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. And they set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place, And change the customs which Moses had delivered us. And all they that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Now, I don't know about you, but if it were me, from my human perspective, I, I feel like my knees would be knocking and I would be showing anything but the face of an angel. But this is the work of the Spirit in Stephen's life. I noticed so many parallels in the story of Stephen. We'll we'll get to Acts chapter 8 later, of course. But, of course, in that chapter, he prays, lay not this sin to their charge. And God answered that prayer in chapter 9 and He gloriously saved Saul of Tarsus who had been consenting to the death and in fact held the coats of the men that were stoning. But I notice also the parallel here that they debated him. They couldn't win a debate with him, so what do they do? They gathered up false witnesses and said, He said this! When they knew in fact that he didn't. It's interesting that he said that Stephen was speaking against Moses, but what did Jesus say? He said, Moses testified of me. If you were truly Moses' disciples, then you would be my disciples, because you would know the truth. And uh, then... They looked steadfastly on him, and his face was as it had been, the face of an angel. He wasn't agitated. In that moment, God gave him the peace to be able to do this. And he, next time we're going to get into this long sermon that he gives. Probably over the next couple of times we're together, we'll, we'll consider that. So God was preparing him. And surely if God said, don't worry about the words you'll speak, uh, God really came through for Stephen this day because he gave him a lot of words to speak. And I look forward to going through that with you. But at every turn, they were trying to bring down Stephen and they were not able to do that. If God is for you. Who can be against you? If we look at Ecclesiastes 8.1. Ecclesiastes 8, one very quickly. And then Matthew 5.16. If someone could have the Matthew passage ready to read. Immediately upon the, the reading of the Ecclesiastes passage. That would be awesome. So, when we are blood-bought, spirit-filled individuals, it shows on our faces. The Lord says, the psalmist says, he has put a new song in my heart, even praise to my God. And I can truly testify of this, because a lot of times when I'm by myself, when I used to do regular rounds through the halls of a school, even, I would sing hymns. Because that's what was on my heart. And people have even commented that that encouraged them through the day. But another reminder to put good things into your heart because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If you don't have good things in your heart, it won't come out. This Old Testament passage is a parallel to the one we just read that the face of an angel was the face of Stephen. Why? Because he had the Spirit of God pouring forth. Remember when, when uh, Moses saw the Shekinah glory of the Lord, what did he have to do when he came down from the mountain? He put a veil on. Just from seeing the backside of the Lord, which I think is, it it's, it's shows that God has a sense of humor. that he says, I will show you my backsides. And yet, even just seeing the backside of God, Moses... Glowed so much that he had to cover his face with a veil. Can we read um, Matthew 5.16? That your light so shine before men that they may, accept, well, they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Um, I don't know how many that were in this crowd were believers. I don't know if any of them were. But certainly, those who heard this story, who are in the church, could glorify God. Certainly, Paul, looking back at Stephen, could glorify God because of Stephen's witness. I'm sure, even though he was redeemed, it was a reality that Paul lived with. I mean, you can't witness somebody stoning and ever forget it. And just thinking about, they weren't able to resist his words. They weren't able to say anything bad about him, real. And then when they looked at his face, it was the face of an angel. This was a man who was filled to the brim with the Spirit of God. That's the kind of man I desire to be. I don't always hit the mark, just ask my family. But it's my desire. Pastor J.H. Crowell when about 16, shipped on a sailing vessel where he was the only Christian, in a crew of 12. Before leaving his mother, he promised to meet her three times a day at the throne of grace. So regularly he went below and prayed aloud. He thought he must. They threw wood at him and poured buckets of water over him, but he could not put out the fire in his soul. Then they tied him to the mast and laid thirty-nine stripes on his back. Still he prayed. They had a rope around his body and threw him overboard. He swam as best he could, and when they took hold and when he took hold of the side of the ship, they pushed him off with a pole. At last, his strength gave way, and supposing they meant to kill him, he prayed that God would forgive them and called out, "Send my body to my mother and tell her I died for Jesus!" He was then pulled on deck unconscious, but after some time came to. Conviction began to seize the sailors. Before night, two of them were glorious, gloriously converted, and inside a week, everyone on board, including the captain, was gloriously saved. Our God is a God of miracles. Our God is a God who never gives up. I'm sure the church never in a million years expected that Saul of Tarsus would become one of them. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure they thought he was on an undercover spy mission when he came into their meetings because Barnabas had to come and say, you know what? Paul's the real deal. I don't know how God gave him that spiritual insight, whether he spent multiple days with Paul before he came to this conclusion, but Barnabas gave him the right hand of fellowship and brought him with him into the fellowship of the saints. And then people were able to realize that Paul was the real deal. We know that Paul spent three years in the Arabian desert learning from Christ himself but it's significant to me that even before that occurred right after he was converted and baptized he went into the synagogues and began to preach Christ because it was that important preaching the very thing that he had stoned Stephen for because the zeal that he had for God was redirected, and he did a 180. And he said, I count all things but loss that I might win Christ. The very one that he hated. He wanted to now win. So, if today, by some reason that I know not, you hate Christ, know that he can change you, he can give you a new heart, a new focus. And one that serves him wholeheartedly. And if you love him but you're struggling, may I remind you of what he said in Matthew? Come unto me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Sometimes we think of that as an evangelical passage, and surely it is. But he says it to the believer as well. Remember, he said to Peter. I forgive you. When he told the women that he when they told the women that he was alive, he said, Go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you. He included Peter because I'm sure if he hadn't, Peter might have said, Well, I don't know if I'm one of the disciples anymore. But he said the disciples and Peter, I hope that you are a disciple of Christ. I hope that you've trusted his plan of salvation if you have any questions I'd be glad to talk to you if you have any prayer requests I'd be glad to pray with you just know that God loves you more than anyone else ever could Heavenly Father Lord we just pray that you would be with us today we pray that you would give us journey mercies to wherever we are headed and we pray that you would continue this day of rest and that we would continue to honor you with, with the time that we have. Lord, I thank you for the example of Stephen, who stood faithful in a time of trial. And even when the results were not good, from a worldly perspective, we know that he is seated with you in the heavenly places right now because of your promises. As a matter of fact, the scriptures tell us that he saw you standing at the right hand of God. And we thank you for that. I ask you now that you would give the people in this room a blessing of peace, that you'd make your face shine upon them. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.